I'm the darling of Dior. They tell me me H-line is hot. Uh, the women all hate me. The fellows all date me. Though this fashion quite cancels me bot. Said a lad in the Louvre, she looks like a Hoover. What's happened to Chassis, mon dieu? Then a painter from Pisa, standing by Mona Lisa, looked at her, then at me, and said, Ooh, oh, Mr. Dior, why do you make us so queer? You've exposed our poor knees, now we all look like trees. It's enough to send us on the beyond. So rien to your passions. Combien do we have to look dumb? Très bien if our faces are lifted. But to heck with this dropping the tum. What happened was, Louis Elliman owned the gaiety. And when he tapped Jimmy O.G. on the pantomimes, if they were stuck, he used to say, Annie, will you go up and give them a hand? And therefore... All my life I was in and out of that gaiety. And, and I learned a lot, you know, that way, you know, going from one theatre to the other, which was fabulous. But then she left and uh, Miss Cafferty left and I went in altogether. And I made all the costumes now. And Babs de Monte designed them. Sadie and myself learned a terrible lot from Babs because Babs was a continental designer. She used to sketch everything beautiful, coloured them in, all the sketches and then we'd show them to Maureen and past Maureen that was okay past any other big star to come in it'd be okay because as long as I made the costumes exactly like that picture then it was perfect but I had great help with my daughter Sadie because she went to the Grafton Academy and the College of Art for design and pattern making so she used to make master patterns for me you know what I mean? And when you cut out with Sadie's patterns, you don't have any alterations. We make them straight up. We don't even fit. We wait until the costumes are finished and then we try them on. And you might only have to nip the waist in here and there, which was brilliant. And that's how we used to do the, the shows. Because sometimes you don't get three weeks. You go down, maybe you'd be up in the water and I'd say to Paz, what the hell are they doing now? Down? Have they changed anything? And you go down, well, what's for the finale? Oh, we haven't got decided yet. Now, this will be three weeks before the flipping show go off. You know what I mean? Thank you. Thank you, ladies and gentlemen. Don't go away. There's worse to come. Wait till you hear the next one. <laughs> well, Ian Priestley Mitchell, the decent fellow, he says, Joe, think of a new song for the next one. So I said, right, a brand new one I've never sung before. The Soldier's Dream. <laughs> It shall be blown And on the plain upon the newbies sang a creeping And the sentinel is pacing to and fro All at once the sky is filled with shapes of horsemen Lit up by lightning as the dying day goes down And the famous white horse is directing their course For See them pass down 
it up. There <laughs> we go. Sadie, it's us. And Francis. Huh? This is Sadie, my daughter, and that's Francis. Her assistant there. Oh, that's doing a great thing down there, you know what I mean? See, they're up to their neck in pantomime. They're doing the pantomime? This is, yeah, this is the, the costumes pantomime, yeah. for pantomime yeah. now. And so she's... going to start running out against time, as ever. Christmas is a bad time for all of us. Mm. <laughs> you design all the things yourself, Sadie? Yeah, well, a lot of the time now, some of them come in from England, but I do design for panto. Yeah. And we make everything here, yeah. And the operas. And the and operas, yeah. <laughs> Both, yeah. This is, this is not your old wardrobe? Uh, no, this is not my wardrobe at all. This is Sadie's wardrobe. I'm nothing to do with this blinking place at all. Mine was upstairs, up over there. there. It, it was all the offices are up there. You know, the I always thought my wardrobe was better than looking than this. <laughs> it's better looking. My wardrobe upstairs, Francis, better looking than this. <laughs> but how Sadie started was, Sadie was one of the Royal Oldtons as a child and when she came to 14 years of age she used to say I'm not going to do that anymore I want to go to the College of Art and I want to do costume so we said yes so she went to the College of Art and then she went to the Grafton Academy for pattern making you know and that's how she done the pattern but she is a master cutter you know what I mean what's a master cutter? a master cutter is a person who cuts and there's not much alterations that's a master cutter you know what I mean? And she makes her own patterns for everything. You see, but Sadie made all Maureen's costumes to save me the trouble. You know what I mean? Only for that I would have never got through, you know, what, I, what I, I should have done. You know what I mean? Although I'd done the whole Annie show and Sadie gave me a hand at that time. Wasn't that right, Sadie? That's right, yeah. And she gave me a hand. I don't, I don't know how I'd done that. I'd done the Annie show from Snaps. One of the fellas was to come over here and do all that. But whatever happened, I don't know, whatever, it might be in a bit of trouble. But he sent over snaps of the whole show in London. And I worked from that show, from them snaps, for to do all that. And the men's stuff was made by uh, a tailor in Manor Street called Penders. But all the rest was mine. I said, Sadie done the secretary. Beautiful costume for the secretary. Do you remember, like, a, a black mm. one with white. Yeah. All done, beautiful. So Sadie done, more, like, a good few of them and gave me a hand. I wouldn't have been able to put it on. Or so did, did, did the whole pantomime from photographs? Yeah, it had to be copied from photographs. It was yeah. a set piece, and so they each, yeah. Annie that was ever on in any part yeah. of the world, were identical. Yeah. From America to London to everywhere, so they had to be copied identical. And all there was, all Mummy had was photographs, but they had to be exactly the same. To get used to working from that. <laughs> photographs are sketches, you have to. Yeah. The only di main difficulty to do with theatre is it's always against time. With everybody, with every department, with every department, it's always against time. Mm. We're always kind of, we never have enough time. <laughs> I think if we had um, a year, we still wouldn't have enough time. It's always the way, we never have enough time. Yeah. Do you remember, do you remember one night we were slipping in by the stage door, Harry? There was a queue down the street as far as Mercer's. Yeah. 
And there, looking up at the poster, was a wee small man with a battered old bowler hat and a pram in front of him. You remember what he said? <laughs> Glory be. Twice nightly. Jimmy O'Dee and Harry O'Donovan at the Gaiety. <laughs> the Gaiety has gone to hell. We shall now take the case of James Phelan Plummer versus Mrs. Mulligan Widow for breach of promise. Call the plaintiff. Mrs. Mulligan. Mrs. Mulligan. Mrs. Mulligan. Ah, but where would you see a fine woman like me? Billy Mulligan, the pride of the coop. Me boys, Billy Mulligan, the pride of the coop. Oh, silence, Robert. Silence. Quiet, please. Ah, uh, how are you, Judge? Put it there. It's a long time since I've seen you. You're looking smashing. Did you get over your operation? Be quiet, please. I'm only talking to this gent here. Quiet, Pardon quiet, yourself. Quiet, please, quiet, please, madam. It's quiet. all right, Your Worship. It's all right. I'm talking to the gent here with the red cloak and the purple nose. How dare you, woman? Now, maybe it's indigestion. I do suffer myself sometimes. There's something awful. No, that'll do now, madam, now, madam. madam. Madam, when I'm in my little fish shop, the folks don't call me madam. Well, you're not in your fish shop now. Oh, well, there's enough old cards present to make me think I was. <laughs> my lord... That's only a joke, my lord. Quiet, quiet. My lord, I appear for the defendant, Lawrence Phelan, plumber by profession. Plumber by profession, plumber by inclination. Oh, what I went through with that fellow over there is nobody's business, day in and day out. No, no, Never. No. All right, all right, all right, all right. That's enough. Do you swear to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth? Ah, what sort of an easy did he take me for? <laughs> but there was one funny and there was a pantomime on. And there was um, Eugene Lambert, Hal Roach, Danny Cummins, and somebody else, and I can't remember offhand. But they wanted a ballet, ballet dress. Now, we just made the ordinary with the net skirt down to the ankle, something like that. But Fred O'Donnell said, oh, no, I want the really, real, regular tutus. That was very, very funny. It, it, it was a send-up of, uh, of the ballet. They were in tutus, and they were... And if you ever saw more incongruous people, I mean, Cecil Nash, six foot four, Danny Cummins, about five foot four, uh, Milo Shea, whose hairy chest showed through the tutu. <laughs> to show through the costume and Hal Roach with the glasses myopic who couldn't see past the end of the stage and they danced uh, to the Sugar Plum Fairy you know they did a ballet to the Sugar with Maureen as the matador in the, I mean the only one in a male costume was Maureen and she was the only female and it, uh, it was quite funny I forget the name of the pantomime, but I remember being a matador with the three-cornered hat and the waistcoat. I think I have it inside. And um, it was great fun. It was a, it was a ballet, you know, with the, the uh, red cape and the, the comics, Eugene Lambert, you know, and Hal Roach. And, my God, Milo Shea, I think, was in it too. And this, to see them gambling around the stage in annals, tutus, <laughs> pink tutus, was something else. And I said, dear God, tonight, how can we make regular tutus at this hour of the night? You know what I mean? Anyway, it took us two days to make the four tutus pink with sequin bodies. And Maureen was doing the matador, you know, and we had to make her a sequin top and everything. They were the ballet and they were doing the ballet and she was doing the matador. I don't know how we're doing it, but at four o'clock in the morning, both machines sat down. They were overheated. 
But he was delighted with the result the next day. I mean, it was really fabulous. I wonder where the hell them tutus are now. It was great. <laughs> All night long, sacred heart to God, I say, crying out loud. <laughs> Lovely stage, isn't it? Huh? Real lovely stage, you know. Oh, mind yourself, love, yeah. There you are. If any of the curtains went wrong, you know, or tearing them, I used to have to be spend hours here on the stage mending them because they used to fly them down, you know what I mean, and there. But when you're looking, it's lovely when you're looking from here, isn't it? You know? I always loved this theatre. I worked at the theatre role for 20 years. And that held 4,000 people. And I'm just thinking if it was there now, it would do a bomb. At least I imagine it would. But my daughter Sadie here up at the water says no. <laughs> that uh, this hell holds 2,000, a little over 2,000. But it's a beautiful theatre, isn't it? Really beautiful theatre, yeah. When I look at it. At first now, it was the rain used to come in through the flipping roof. You know what I mean? And sometimes, you know, I'd have to go up. Or the, Mr. Cairns used to say, bring a bucket off to the Grand Circle and put it under one of the seats where the rain would be coming in, you know, where the, the ceiling was very bad. It was fabulous now, isn't it? Well, people sit out there, they say, and they see all the glamour. You know, but the glamour is outside, but the glamour is not backstage. You know, it's hard work. Even from the stagehands, the stage doorman, everybody, the wardrobe especially, the artists rehearsing, everybody. It's all hard work. And it's all put together. Just the thing I had downstairs, you know. Upstairs, I mean, just the bloody thing. Old fashioned, isn't it? Okay. Yeah. The picture, the picture, taking it out, trying to bloody well um, ring it up in the little ringer there, you know what I mean, the little roller ringer. Let me tell you the hard bloody work he had to do and all that. No dryers, no washing machines, no nothing. We managed. We had a Spanish company here called uh, Pila Lopez, Spanish company. And of course, they couldn't believe that we hadn't any washing machine here. They used to send everything out to the laundry to be done. And the kind of underskirts they had, they were all full of starch. And when they washed them, the whole underskirt was full of holes. Can you make a picture? Trying to um, use spray starch to fill up them holes that's in them underskirts was unbelievable. You know, but they managed, they managed to. Said we were ancient. <laughs> when you look into it, we were ancient, weren't we? <laughs> we got on, Grant. That's how our hands are so hard and so, you know what I mean? You're using your hands so much that you have no arthritis in them, the muscles are grand. Never let out the clock. There you are. Mm -hmm. One wash done. Home and dried. <laughs> Isn't it? Home and dried and that's it.
Dublin is a wonderful night, a wonderful night. Saturday night in Dublin's like a party, I declare. From Dan O'Connor's statue down to Old St. Stephen's Green. You see the sweetest parties that your eyes have ever seen. Oh, Saturday night in Dublin is a wonderful night, a wonderful night. It seems the town is going to the fair. There's a smile in the eye of each passerby as he strolls along the street. And the shake of the hand of the light of his hand as he wanders around. As far as the wardrobe were concerned, I was the natural enemy. And uh, in the case of Anne O'Cuff, who was, in my opinion, Anne O'Cuff and Babs DeMond, were the greats of, of theatre wardrobe. There was nobody like them. They were first class. But the situation was that when we'd start rehearsing uh, a, a variety show like Gales of Laughter, we set out after about seven days' rehearsal, we'd set out about six sketches. I'd then go to Anna and say, these are the sketches, these are the costumes I require. And being Anna, she'd be working on them instantly. Of course, seven days later, we'd have all changed our minds. I remember one time, it was Jimmy O'Dea's month, no, it was Fred O'Donovan's. And um, we used to be uh, rehearsing Christmas Eve and they were looking for, uh, it was that time, looking for a goose costume. And it wasn't made, and I thought it was props. So I had to stay half Christmas Eve night trying to make a flipping goose costume out of nothing. <laughs> I couldn't find feathers, so I found a bit of net. But I'd done for the dress rehearsal, you know what I mean? Betty Long be in the corner there, you know. She was stage director. And you'd say, tell Anno that, you know, I want this and I want that. But sometimes they'd be rehearsing and um, Betty'd come up. Betty Blanc was great and she'd come up and say, don't do that, it'll be out. You know, she used to give me the nod and then we wouldn't touch a Babs and I'd be up to her next with it. And she'd say, don't put that in, it'll be out. Which I'd just say, thank God. <laughs> do you know what I mean? Then, then it took that much off me altogether, you know. So there was a, usually an intense hatred built up between us. And it, uh, it, it went on and on and on like that. But uh, we both had a healthy respect for each other. And, uh, and I understood the, uh, how frustrating it was for them. The two of them actually loved to spark off each other. I have to say that. I mean, she had really got respect for Fred as the producer, right? And he had respect for her as the wardrobe, but you could never actually say it to each other. They always had arguments, but... And that table got a bloody good lot of thumps. He thumped the table and I thumped it back. <laughs> and we kept thumping and thumping and thumping and saying, you're finished now. You know? she'd show, she'd get it when it's ready. Or I tell you about Fred O'Donnell, he'd come up and he'd be all over you. Now, really all over you. You know what I mean? And this and the other, and he might have a mug of tea or something like that. And he'd go down onto the stage and he'd tear something on the stage and he'd come up like a bloody tiger. You know, thumping the table and he'd tell he got away with it. Every thump he'd done, I'd thump back. And that's what happened to him, you know. They were doing a show down in Belfast on for the BBC and I didn't want to go. 
And he said, you are going to dodge this. You know, and I said, no, I am not. Yes, you are. No, I'm not. <laughs> and she went. I ended, I ended up going, you know what I mean. I had visions of her standing at the bottom of the stairs shouting abuse at me at the top of the stairs, which was a regular occurrence, you know. So, it, uh, no, I never, uh, I, uh, truthfully, I'm very fond of, of, of Anna O'Cough. But, you know, it, 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 it was one of these things where when you're putting on a production, everybody's, it's tension for everybody. But the wardrobe got the worst tension, in my opinion. They really had the toughest time. But no, I always respected them because it was, number one, it was an area I knew nothing about. Number two, it was an area that I caused the most of the problems they had. And number three, it was an area where they did, they kept prices low and, and they really did a great job. I mean, it was under terrible circumstances because the gaiety wardrobe was not an ideal wardrobe. You know, and bear in mind, they had to do, they had to wash the costumes every day. They had to wash and dry and iron and everything, even when the show was working. So everybody went on with fresh, sparkling costumes. And in a pantomime, you're talking about maybe 300 costumes. You know, they were just, they were the hardest workers. In the th they in the backstage, in my opinion, were the hardest workers in the theatre. <laughs> Cutter, unless you have a good cutter, costume is nothing. It's nothing. You have to have a good cutter and you have to have a good maker up. You know what I mean? And then when you fit, if it fits perfect, you have no bother. So there, that saves hours and hours of work. You know, as I just said, with Sadie cutting, you know what I mean? Or even making the patterns for me. She used to make the master patterns. And I've cut, even the men's, I'd be able to cut from the pattern the men's stuff and everything. 
Well, her costume shows off the art. The artist is doing, and she's, she's not dressed unless she has a good costume. She has to feel, such as Maureen. Maureen has to feel the costume is right. She has to. Otherwise, it upends her when she'd come out on the stage to know the people is all looking, and if the costume is not her, you know what I mean? It has to be her. Or any actress, any one I made for, the costume has to be their personality. Otherwise, I mean, they'd stand in front of maybe somebody had tittered something. But we always made sure nobody ever tittered, you know. And Babs Hamad would sit out there, she was a costume designer at that time, you know. And she knew what would look right from the stage. She knew what colours went over, what colours did not. You know, she had the feel of the colours, you know what I mean? And she'd know what the audience uh, would say, or oh, that's, you know what I mean? No one ever had to say that her costumes weren't perfect. I mean, I mean, as I said, some, a lot of people said to me, oh, they're hired. I'm telling you now, there's no costume hired. It's all made in the Gaiety Theatre wardrobe. Except in Jimmy O'Dea's days, his early days, he used to get all the costumes from Herod and Wyndham. And they were beautiful. They come in caskets. And you'd have two keys to a box. You know what I mean? So that each key was different, so that they would never be uh, stolen or anything like that, you know, coming over. But those costumes were a work of art. Now, you learned a lot from looking at them, too. But Babs Lamont, you travelled all over the world, and she knew costumes. And she sat out there, and really now, to be quite honest, she didn't get the credit she deserved. But she was brilliant, as nobody could take it from her. Nobody could take it from her. And that's the idea of a costume. It makes you. Look, at now you get a suit, and it doesn't look right. You're all upended, aren't you? Well, a costume is a costume, and that's their personality. We always called Annie Cuff Anno. I don't know why. I think it came with her from the Royal. But she was an Anno. She wasn't an Annie. Anno Cuff. I couldn't dream of calling her Annie Cuff. Anno. Yes, I think she brought it with her from the Royal, and I don't know who christened her Anno in the Royal. There weren't any other Annos, you know, just the one, Cuff. I was known as the Velcro Queen, you know, every time I went off. But Rosie Walsh did all that. She did all the quick changing. Fifteen seconds you had to change, you know. But Anna would make them so they were easy to change out of. All the Velcro, no buttons, no hooks and eyes, no nothing, which was great. Of every foe, the 
glory of old Ireland has filled his buccaneers and a terror to creation war. Day, double up your <laughs> You heard about the war between the Russians and the Brits. Desire one day was reading an old copy of Tidbits. When the janitor came to him and flung himself down in tears, says he will be defeated. Here's the double of fusiliers. Desire began to tremble and bit his underlip. Begara boy says he, I think it's time we took the tip. Them buckles comes from Dublin, and to judge by what I hear is the devil's of militia men. They double of fusiliers on his lip. One day, Jimmy came to me with a great idea. You mean you came to me with a great idea? Oh, actually, we had the same idea simultaneously. Why, Why not do, do a pantomime? A pantomime for Christmas. And so recklessly and flushed with success. Speak for yourself, Harry. <laughs> we decided to do a pantomime, any pantomime. What about dear little Red Riding Hood? Our babes in the wood. Can you see me as the widow twanky, a real swanky twanky? A Latin would be too difficult. We could try Jack and the Beanstalk. As if the beanstalks were in season around Christmas, what? which I doubt very much, but still... Well, the trouble was that there was simply no place in Dublin in the country either where we could lay hands on suitable scenery. Once again, we were up a gum tree, and then one day, I spotted an advertisement in the... Yes. Tell you the truth, Logan Boca come up and he'd say, I've a board meeting downstairs and I don't want any noise. Now I'd be walking, getting on one of the shows or anything, and I would I take the, the thread out of the needle and everything, and I'd put my foot on that machine and it'd go all the time. <laughs> so they had to get out of the boardroom and go somewhere else for the meeting because I was damn well not going to stop the flipping machine to suit them and that bloody board meeting, to be quite honest. <laughs> We had a board meeting, and there was a thumping away of the machine, and I, they said to me, what's going on? And I said, well, there should be nothing going on. And uh, I, I said, I'll go up and see, because we're not making costumes. We're halfway into the run. And I went up, and there was Anno in the throes of making a costume for Jack Cruz, <laughs> the Olympia. So, <laughs> I, I mean, she was kind of red-handed doing something she shouldn't do, but, I mean, I didn't care. It, it, Jack was a good friend, and it, it, uh, if she was helping him out. But it was funny the way she was caught. Here's the whole board in the place. When I went into the Royal, I had £4.10 shillings wages. Because that was a long time ago, you know what I mean? When I went off to the Gaiety then, I had nine shillings. And it used to drive me mad. I'd go in, say, at 10 o'clock in the morning. And I'd had, out of that nine shillings, I would have to buy my lunch and my tea. And I'd say to myself, you know, out of nine shillings, where the hell 
I used to have nothing left. And I remember Miss McManus, she was the secretary, and she came up two weeks before Christmas and said, I'm afraid, Mrs Cuff, she said, that you'll have no wages for the next two weeks. She said, why? Because she said, you owe tax. How could I owe tax? You're doing it. You're doing all that. I don't know what she said, but you'll have no wages for the next two weeks and until I nearly passed out because we're depending on it. You know what I mean? Because sometimes my husband wasn't working or... So I rebelled anyway, and I went to the union and uh, the union came up and they said, well, you either want the best or you don't. Now, if you want the best, give Mrs. Cuff her rise. And if you don't want the best, then let her go. But but I got £20 then. (laughs) So that was a big jump up, like, from from £9. (laughs) But we were never let down. That's the important part. In all the history of Mrs. Cuff, Anna Cuff, at the the Gaiety, she never let us down. Now, trying to pin her down was like chasing mice at a crossroads. You know, like, you could never pin her down to saying she'd have the thing ready, but she always had it ready. You know, she never failed. We've never had one instance, and certainly in the 20 years I was involved in the gaiety, uh, I could never turn around and say, I had to hire a costume because Anna Hukoff didn't make it. She always had it ready. Herself and Babs Dumont were just two miracle people. We had a Ouija board. I was in the Royal now. You see, with Jess and Noah and a tumble in her in the middle. And Ursula Doyle's mother, Jimmy O'Gee's mother, and myself, and another May Phelan, and uh, Lily Egan. And Lily Egan took down anything that was said. Of course, you could push the tumbler to where the hell you wanted to go, you know what I mean? And one of the men came up on the stage, asked him what will win the second race. And I said, well, if you put money on the third horse, you should do well. And it came in. And I was only out of the blue, you know. <laughs> and then Mayfield had said, Phil who was away, you know, he was the manager of the gate at that time. And he was away and he said, when will he be back? And I said, the right time, which was the right time. He came back when he should have came back. You know what I mean? All these things. Was, and it must have been 12 o'clock when we looked up at the skylight, there was darken and a full moon look coming in. I said, oh God, we won't do it anymore. Went up to the gaiety then and um, Father Nolan came in and he must have heard about the Ouija board. And in he came, come on, show me this Ouija board. The devil is there, the devil is there. This is what it is. Give me that Ouija board. And he took the Ouija board. But we didn't do it anymore. Father Nolan was coming and said, I got that Ouija board and I burnt it, you know. <laughs> but we've never done it again, you know what I mean. What can I? Such pride inside me has woken. I'll try my best not to cry by and by when the final farewells must be spoken. I remember one show very much in my memory and I often think about it now. 
uh, Joseph Locke and Maid Devitt and we were doing showboat. Now, they were looking for uh, some people for chorus and of course I couldn't go. Some of them came up and asked me could I go. Connie Ryan said could I go in. But I was expecting Sadie at the time and I couldn't. I remember it so well because uh, they used to come up Grafton Street, all through Connor Street, all up Grafton Street and all round the Stevens Green uh, in a carriage, an open carriage. And the two of them would be there, May Devitt and Joseph Locke. And they were really a great team together. The voices blended in and that's what I love. I love anything like that and May Devitt was great. And then she'd done a good few shows with him, you know, with Joseph Locke. And he, he was a great man, really, you know what I mean, and very kind and I really loved him, you know. I used to always wish I could stand on the stage and sing, you know, but costumes was my life and that was it. You know, but I hope to sing at the end of your programme. <laughs> I could give you a visa. Come to Centre Sage yeah. and I'll hold the mic. You hold the mic, yeah. It won't be easy, you think it's strange When I try to explain how I feel That I need your love after all I have done All you have to do is look at me to know That every word is true Don't cry for me, Argentina The truth is I never left you all through my wild days, my mad existence, I kept my promise. Don't keep your distance. Down here in the dark, you know what I mean? Tried to put the lights on as I went along. You know, in the dark. I spent most of my life there. Though my two daughters were grown up before I really, uh, you know, when I left the road, they were really grown up at the time. So it was, my husband was there looking after them and my yeah, sisters and all, so it was no problem, you know. Because people might say, if you have children, but you spend so many hours. But you don't if you have a family that looks after them. You know what I mean? And they're grown up like they're not babies. I wouldn't leave them on babies, you know. Now, this is the prom side. We always, Maureen would always stand here for uh, our entrance. And uh, we might stand there, come down and look and see was everything fine, you know. See what I look up there, look at it. <laughs> you know, the memories come back to me, you know. I often sit, I often sit in bed and say, how long more have I got? How <laughs> long more have I got to live? And every morning I wake up and I say, thank you, God, for another day. If you don't want me, to, well, then don't take me. <laughs> I have too much work to do. 